Um, now, one of the ministries that we need to start is a gardening ministry, as you can see. So if you've got green thumbs, say basically not mine, uh, we need you. Um, but, you know, we're really, really, really excited about what's coming next. Uh, but I also am really excited about what God's doing just now. I really sense that God is wanting to do uh, a work that will bring each and every single one of us into uh, a deeper level in Him. And that's part of this series about spirit lead. We're talking about discernment. And last week, as we talked about um, discernment, we, we said that discernment is not something you either have or you don't. But discernment is something that you train and you grow in. It's not something that is static. In fact, we read in Hebrews that if you are static in your discernment, you are probably going to become hard of hearing. We read that, remember, last week? And, but, 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 but discernment is so linked to our maturity as Christians. And we see that in Hebrews 5 verse 14, which says, But solid food is for the mature who, uh, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So who are the mature? Those who have trained up their discernment. In other words, the more accurate, the more sharp your discernment is as a Christian, the more mature you are as a Christian. And this is something that is so important. I think that there, are, uh, that there is a, a, a certain shift that has happened in our culture where we uh, honor and we respond to certain men and women of God who seem to have their discernment really sharpened up and they just seem to know what they're doing and they go, wow, look at that. And then they go, we'll just follow their discernment when really, when the author of Hebrews was writing to his whole audience, he said, all of you should be teachers by now. All of you, not just some. All of you need to be in a place where you are bringing other people into greater maturity. The Christian journey is not of some who are chosen. The Christian journey is one of all who have been chosen by God. And I love that the Bible tells us that the gifts and the calling of God is irrevocable. What it means is that God doesn't look at you and He look at what you have done in the past and say, oh, you know what, I made a mistake calling you. I made a mistake putting gifts in this person's life. And he goes, no, no, no. When Jesus calls you, he is waiting for the moment that you respond and that you step into a deeper a journey with him, a greater discernment, because that is what the Christian journey is about. And so we also ended last week talking about how uh, the training and the growing and discernment is something that's meant to be in community. We talked about how Samuel, the chosen man who would turn the whole nation of Israel around, he had the worst possible coach. He had a selfish man who had proven to be inadequate as God's priest. But yet through Eli, Samuel learned to hear God's voice. The community might be broken. The community might not be perfect. But the community is what God uses to bring us into maturity. And sometimes I think it's because we are broken that we have to grow. It pushes us to grow because we've experienced what immaturity does to one another. As a pastor of about 14 years now, I can't even imagine that. Immaturity hurts the body of Christ. When we stay in our immaturity, for whatever reason, it hurts other people. It slows down the work of God. 
But yet God so graciously still chooses to use people. And so if you're a person, this message is for you today. If you breathe and you eat normal food, like I do, say steak and fried chicken, then you, this message is for you. If you're a vegetarian, I'm not so sure. If you're vegan, I will pray for you. Let there be healing in the name of Jesus. You know, the more that I become mature, I realize something. I become more and more scared of my immaturity. You know, this week I was at a meeting with my, uh, uh, not my team, but the state exec of um, ACCWA that we're a part of. And I, I'm very fortunate, very blessed to be a part of that team. And one of the very um, experienced veterans of, um, of our movement, he, he, we were just having a chat. And he said, you know what, Nate, my best years was when I was in my 20s, when I didn't know any better. <laughs> and I was full of confidence. I was fireproof. I could do, I was invincible. I made decisions just like that. And I would just run. And I would see God move. And God, you know, just rewarded that kind of faith. And it was amazing. But the more I go in my faith, and he said, the more I start to second guess myself, the more I see my inadequacies, the more I worry about the issues that are in my life and how it impacts other people. And I loved the humility of this man because he, he actually has spoken here before, Pastor Phil Ayres. And I, I absolutely uh, uh, respect and honor this man. He's taught me so much in this journey already. Uh, but it's so true that the more we examine and grow, the more we see how inadequate we are. Which brings me to a certain point. Some of us, well, all of us with discernment, we are likely to get things wrong at certain times. However, because of how discernment works with how we kind of feel and perceive things and how we uh, 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 think about things, likely, even if we are wrong, we will think we are right. Yes? Because if you don't think that you're right, then you're not really discerning anything, right? So if you activate your discernment, no matter how weak or immature it is, when you activate it, you will feel like something is right. And there are going to be times that you feel like something is right, and it's going to be wrong. You hear me? And then, because we live in community, we are going to have someone else who has a discernment who will talk to us about that and tell us about what they are discerning, and they can be right, but we will feel like they are wrong. Make sense? And that's what makes community discernment so difficult because I will have a sense of what I'm meant to be doing and someone else, the bravado of them to come to me and say that I'm sensing wrong. A number of people that have come to us as their pastors, as their oversight, say, God told me and someone doing this and they're not allowed to say anything. You know why people do that? I think it's because they don't want to hear that they are sensing wrong. And it comes back to this thinking of discernment is either something I have or something I don't. We don't have the humility to think about discernment as something that I'm growing in. But the more I go in this, the more I go on this journey, the more I go, get me people around me who love God and are trying to discern His will and let us interact together and let me work out the things in me that are not right. And so on the journey of discernment, there is something that we need to do about our gut. Yeah. 
about our spiritual gut or our soul, our heart, because that is where we make decisions. Our will, our passions, our desires is how we discern. Is how we discern. I will think that I want to do this because that is, I discern that that is something I need to do or that's something that is good for me. And that doesn't mean that our discernment will always make us feel all comfortable. Sometimes I discern that I need to put down the steak and the fried chicken. And my body tells me, no, you're discerning wrong. But I know that the Lord has spoken, that my body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Oh, praise the Lord. But what we need to realize is that the journey of discernment requires us to get uncomfortable. It requires us to be challenged in what we think that we know and what we feel is right. That is why discernment is attached to maturity. Because if you want to discern better, you're going to have to deal with the muck the stuff inside of your soul that is going to stop you from discerning what is right. The Bible puts it this way in Jeremiah 17 verse 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I love it. It's not like the heart is deceitful and, and, and you know, keep working on it. He just, the, the prophet just goes, you're desperately sick. You're desperately sick. Who can understand it? Now, I think that there is a sense in uh, what was being said that, you know, there is still this hope that God is able to cleanse, to make our heart whole, but it's still a journey. And so right now, if you understand that, hey, there's more for me to learn about God, then maybe have this attitude that my heart is not all good. And there are going to be moments where my heart is going to push me down the wrong track. All right, let's keep looking. Uh, Paul writes in uh, Romans chapter 7, 15 to 25. I'm going to read this quickly. You can go slow it down yourself. But he basically says the same thing again and again. He writes, For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree to the Lord that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but in my flesh I serve the law of sin." You notice that he says, thanks be to God who saves me. But the salvation of God still means that we're still at war with our flesh. You're not saved and made perfect in a moment. You are saved and then you go through a process that we often call sanctification. You are dealing with things. What are you actually sanctifying? Let me put it to you in very clear terms. You are sanctifying your desires and your passions inside of you. That's the main thing that you're dealing with. It's not about you stop, 
uh, stopping doing something evil, but is dealing with the root of why you are so driven to do what is evil. Why you are driven to think a certain way. Why you are driven to do things. And oftentimes the worst kinds of sin to deal with are the sins that our world says are all right. And so in our Western culture, where we say we need to self-love, it has a ring of truth, but that self-love can take us away from loving Christ. And so we go, but I'm just trying to do the things that are right for me. Yeah, but is it right by God? We have to deal with those things. And what Paul is saying is that he starts to realize that if he is to grow up, if he is to mature, if he is to understand how to live for God and to find life in God, then he's going to need to deal with the flesh. And that in itself takes discernment. But it's hard to discern that something is wrong when it's been the way that it always has been. It's hard to discern that something is out of place when we've always thought that way. So Christianity is actually a move to completely change your viewpoint of the world. Discernment is about learning to, over time, see more and more the things of God and how to live in those things rather than the old ways of living. Romans 12 verses 1 or 2 puts it this way. You know, uh, I don't think I put it down here, did I? No. Yes, I did. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as the living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world. And by world, when you ever see the word world in the New Testament, is the word cosmos, which means that it's the systems and the culture that is at war with God. So when it says world, there's nothing good in it, all right? It's not talking about our earth. It's not talking about the very ground that we stand on. It's talking about the systems and structures that wage war against God. God loves the world, but the world is at odds and is in rebellion to God. And so whatever patterns that I have been living under according to the world, uh, Paul tells me that I need to give them up. And it says to be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may, what? discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so what we need to realize is that there is a war waging within us. And that war at different times, uh, depending on what we are discerning and leaning into, will tell us what we think is right or not. And what we need to do is to check with other people and to check within ourselves why we are motivated driven to act in certain ways or think in certain ways because it might not necessarily be coming from the God part of you. It might be coming from the flesh part of you, the patterns of the world. The Holy Spirit is with you and is leading you, but we need to learn how to tune into it. Let me give you an example. I know that 98.5, our radio station, is always going to try to focus on positive stuff. But sometimes the songs that they put on aren't very fun. I hope they're not listening to this. And so I want to turn to another channel. I do, because that's more fun. It's more pleasing to me. It's like, why are they playing that 70s song for the fifth time today? I've got no time for that. I want to hear some cool jingle that will get me moving. And in the same way, we have different channels within us and we need to learn how to tune in. And when we say flesh, 
it's actually the stuff that is quite pleasing to us. I want you to just sit on that. I'm not trying to bring any condemnation, but I want to bring an awareness. An awareness. I'm not saying that you're all evil, but I'm saying that the patterns of the world that you've been living according to will feel pleasing to you and will feel right to you. And when you lean into that, that's actually going to bring you a a, a false discernment of the things of God. Let me give you an example from my life. When I was in my early 20s, I had already been on staff in my previous church for a number of years, and I had served in uh, specifically an administrative position, but I had also been placed in charge of many different projects, Um, and they were all short-term. I never really had the opportunity to lead something long-term, and in that moment, I was starting to feel a little bit restless, because I thought that I wasn't, like this is hindsight, and that's what I mean by looking to yourself. Looking back over uh, 15 years ago, I saw that I was restless. In that moment, I thought it's because God was calling me to something more. But when I look back, Nate just wanted some recognition, damn it. (laughs) I just wanted promotion. Nate was sick of doing the same old stuff. Nate was bored. Nate wanted to be valued. But really, in the moment, God was calling me to more. Since God putting something so deep in my spirit. Anyway, I was serving and um, there was a church plant about to be uh, set off. And I knew the church plant as well. Um, they, they were reasonably close friends. And I knew that if I went on that church plant, I would be given a position. Specifically, I thought that they would jump at the chance to put Nate on as a youth pastor, which was something that I was dreaming of. I've dreamt of for years by then. And, and so uh, I went for the info session, um, and, and there was this little form that they got us to fill up at the end of it that said, um, I'm, here, I'm just here to support. Um, I want a little bit more information. The third option was like, I'm joining the team. And so in that moment, I ticked the middle box. I take the middle box because in that moment, I wasn't sure that I was supposed to go. Um, but at the same time, I was restless. And in me, there was like, there's something more, and this will give me more. That's what I felt. That's what I knew. So they came to me, oh, Nate, you're thinking about coming with us? And they were so excited. I was like, I'm going to be valued here. I'm going to be valued here. These people know what I'm made of, and they want someone Nate in their church. I wasn't so proud in my actual words, but come on. I know what my flesh was saying, but I just didn't want to hear it. Um, and so they were really excited, and I was like, yeah, 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 I'm thinking about it. I'm, I'm praying about it, guys. I'm praying. Um, I was very holy. And uh, I remember that Sunday, my senior pastor, Pastor Joel, came up to me. He said, hey, Nate, can we have a chat? And I was like, yeah, yeah, no worries. And, and he got me into a private uh, spot, and then he said, hey, I heard that you might be thinking of going to this church plant. And I was like, oh, yeah, no, I'm praying about it. I'm praying about it. And he said, oh, you know, if you ever feel like God's calling you to something else, I want you to come and talk to me about it first. Like, come and talk to me. I'm here to help you. I'm your pastor, and I'm here along your journey. And I said, oh, yeah, I just wasn't very sure. You know, I didn't want to waste your time. I'm just figuring things out. And he was like, yeah, that's all good and well. But I'm just going to say this, and and you still make your decision. But I actually don't think it's time for you to leave. 
I think that there's still um, a journey that you need to complete here at this church. And um, if you choose to go, we'll bless you. But this is what I feel God saying. And then he left it with me. He didn't tell me what to do. He just left it with me. And I think that's a sign of a, a leader that I still follow, that I still respect, because he never imposed his will on me. But I can see now with far greater maturity that I was being so immature to think that I couldn't bring this to him. And to have my oversight speaking to that, but he still graciously gave me wisdom, even though it was probably a difficult conversation for him to have. And so I sat with that, and by, I don't really know how I made the decision, but I think, I, I think Holy Spirit was kind of starting to show me what my flesh was saying. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to stay around here. My pastor has my back, and I'm going to trust that he's got me on this journey. Now, I didn't really say that. In fact, to other people, I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm staying for a while, but no, God's got me on something else, and one day I'll be gone. I was so proud. But I stayed, and under two years, um, I actually got a position of a campus pastor at the age of 24. I was made a campus pastor, given far more responsibility than uh, I would have been given. And just with the beauty of hindsight, if I had gone on this journey, I don't even know if I'll be here today. I don't know if I would have planted. I think that there would have been a lot of stuff that I would have needed to work through. And God's grace is God's grace. He would have been able to heal and all of that stuff. But when I look in hindsight, I am so thankful that I trusted a person who was, in, uh, who was in oversight over me and who had better discernment than me and who had the guts to tell me. Now, in the moment when he said what he was saying, did I feel like what he was saying was right? No, because there was no promise of promotion. What I heard was, Nate, you stay here and you do more of the same and God will bless that. And I'm like, you just want free labor. I want to go to this other church where they value me. But as I sat with that, mm, Holy Spirit began to speak. You see, there are going to be times where someone's going to tell you what they sense God is saying, and they might be right, but you're going to feel that they're wrong. And so it's going to take us something so much more than, and this is not what I'm advocating. I'm not advocating that we just go around, thus saith the Lord, and then, and then you have to follow whatever I say. No, we're not a cult. <laughs> we're not a bunch of people that just do whatever Nate says to do or what Beck says to do, or what any other person says to do. That's not what this is all about. But there's something about growing. When we understand that we need to grow, we understand that our abilities are not where they need to be to be 100%. And the truth is none of us will ever get to 100%. And so we always are going to need one another. And so I want to give you two things, two handles uh, on this journey of um, discernment, of growing in discernment that we all are going to need. And that are the, the tools of humility and the tool of hunger. Humility and hunger. Let's read James chapter 4, verses 1 to 10. 
That's what James writes. For what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire. There we go. Passions and desires. You desire, do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose that it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? What a wonderful thought. God yearns jealously over us, over our lives, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Humility is something that is required for us to actually submit our passions and desires to God and to God's people. There is no way I am going to submit to another person if I am not humble. And there are two ways around this because God loves you. You either humble yourself or you'll be humiliated and find humility. And there have been times in my life where I've been humiliated because I was too proud to humble myself. But if we want to draw near to God and actually hear what He's saying, humility is so required. Why is humility required? It's because it's my passions, it's my desires, and it's something that I yearn over myself. And while the world teaches us that no one else has got my back like myself, is a doggy dogger, is a rat race, it's, it's all of these things. And, and we don't trust other people in our Western world. And so we isolate ourselves and say, I know what is right for myself. We tell our kids who are immature, you can be whatever you want to be. And they start saying that they want to be cats and dogs and we say that's okay. That's not okay. Their passions and desires are warped because they're still in immaturity. They need to be shown what life is like, and we need to be shown what life is like. But that takes humility. It takes humility for someone else to disagree with you and for you to still want to talk to them. It takes humility to say to someone else, I'm not there yet, please help me. It takes humility to say that I'm not what I would like to be. It takes humility. But what we hear is that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. When we fail to humble ourselves, we fail to come under the grace of God. When we fail to practice our discernment and to truly work out whether it's our flesh or whether it's the Spirit of God within us bringing things up, when we fail to do that, we are being proud. Can I say that? We are actually being proud when we fail to practice humility. We are being proud. Because why? Because we're being self-sufficient to the point of cutting other people out. It takes so much humility for me to say, I need help. But there's something else that we need. And I was reading this book, I'm still reading this book, by a man named G.K. Chesterton, and he makes this wonderful observation that in our Western world, there has 
really been built on Christian principles, what we've done is that we've taken the principles, but we've dislocated them from each other. And quite often, the principles, the Christian principles that we find in the Word of God are not meant to be dislocated from something else. They are meant to be held in tension with one another. And so he writes, and he was writing in like 1910. He writes that humility has become a catch cry, but has not been held in tension with other principles. And so what he observed is those that practice humility without other principles have just simply been practicing being sloths. I'm not good enough for anything, so I'm not going to do anything. You see, the problem with humility taken to the extreme is that we stop seeing the value that God has actually placed in us. There is a problem with over-humility. You know, one of the problems with humility is this, that the very worth and value that we have as human beings is that God Himself died for us. He paid the price for our lives. <laughs> Imagine that I'm on a shop rack and the price tag was on me. Do you know what it would say? Jesus. Do you want Nate? Jesus. Jesus paid the price. That's my value and my worth. So, you know, I'll walk around like a prince of God because that's who I am. I have been adopted into the family of God. And so sometimes it's hard to be humble in Christianity because the Bible also gives us so much worth. But I think that's what it's meant to be like. We are meant to be humbly proud. We are meant to be humble because we know that we're still fallen and we're still in the process of sanctification while also understanding that that doesn't take down my worth and my value in God's eyes. And so we got that. All right. And so what I think we need to do when it comes to discernment is that we need humility, but we need something else in tension with it. And I think when I look at this passage, I see hunger. Because it says, draw near to God in verse 8, and he will draw near to you, right? But then how does James write about drawing near to God? He says, be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. And how many of you read that and you go, yeah, 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 I want to do that. <laughs> you know what? Drawing near to God. I'm, I'm going to put on my cry face today when I go to church. Waterproof mascara. Because I'm going to be mourning and weeping. What is that all about? Why does James write that if we are to draw near to God... He says, be wretched and mourn and weep. I think it's because we are hungering so much for God that whatever joy, whatever rewards, whatever goodness we have received is still not as good as what we know God has for us. As good as who God is and the wonderful invitation that He gives us to come near to Him. And so what hunger does is that hunger pushes away the things that already is in order to reach for the things that really satisfy. We need humility because humility actually brings us to a place of recognizing our need for God. And we need hunger because hunger is what will bring us to a place of actually coming close to God. Do you know that humility alone does not actually bring you close to God? It's humility and hunger. 
See, there are people that I know of that are so humble that they will say, God's never going to use me, and so they never go to church. They never do anything about stuff. There's a level of humbleness about that, isn't there? I'm not that special. Pastor, you're the anointed one. I'm not anointed. It's like, no. That's not what the Bible describes to me. The Bible tells me that I understand and acknowledge my weaknesses, but God is still desiring me to draw close to Him because He still wants to speak to me. He still wants to speak into my life. He still wants to bring life to me, and He has got so much more, but He requires hunger for us to get close to Him. Let me read to you uh, a quote that I'm paraphrasing a little. This person wrote, The practical point of discernment is less about God speaking and more about the development of our listening. God tends to make Himself accessible but not obvious. I love that. God tends to make Himself accessible but not obvious. Why doesn't God make Himself more obvious? Because He has done that and it doesn't freaking work. Jesus appeared as man-God, and what did they do to the most obvious representation of God? They killed Him. And sometimes we are so proud to think that if God really would appear before me, I would know it. Well, there were hundreds of thousands of people that didn't, and somehow we think that we've got all the discernment up here to know when God is speaking to me. No, God makes Himself accessible. He invites everyone to come, but He desires that we develop an ear towards Him, and that takes hunger. Why does it take hunger? It's because there are times where you're going to feel like the heaven is like brass. And that there's no word from heaven. And it takes a certain courage. It takes a certain drive to say, I'm still going after the voice of God. When you feel like God has rejected you because of all that stuff, it takes a hunger to say, nowhere else satisfies and nowhere else fills up. And so I'm going to be hungry for God. Yes, and hunger is something that is my responsibility. Yes. Hunger is something that I drive in my life. How do I open up my hunger for God? Is by going to places where God is. Where other people, you know, sometimes when I don't really feel like I'm hearing from God, you know, the best place for me is, even though I don't want to, is a place where there are hungry people. And when they're hungry people, I cannot help but to be in that place and go, God is drawing me in. Why do we meet every single Sunday? I think it's sometimes because I need other people around me to get me hungry for God. There are so many things that happen during the week that gets me all sorts of wrong appetites. And I need to get with the people of God so that I know what I truly should hunger for. When the first chord is being strummed, when the first song is being sung, when the first prayer is being prayed for, that is an invitation to be hungry for God. We can have lots of hungers in our life. But it's a hunger for God that brings us into a deeper place. If we want to grow up, we need to be humble. We need to realize we're not all there yet. But we also need to be hungry. We need to be so hungry. Now I'm going to close. And if I can invite the band up. Because this morning I, I really sense that I want to just give a space for people to practice hunger. To actually say, God, I desire more of you. You know, a few years ago, I found myself kind of just 
going through the motions as a pastor. I was just kind of doing the things I needed to do. And we had a pastors and leaders meeting coming up. And I remember starting to go, I'm actually so dry on the inside. I'm actually not doing okay with God. And there was going to be this speaker, and he was known to really move in the power of God. But more than all of that, I just went, you know what? There's going to be a whole bunch of pastors. There's going to be a whole bunch of people that have actually dedicated themselves to building God's house. And they're going to be hungry, and I'm going to be as hungry as any of them. And I went there, and I just had one prayer in my heart. And that was like, everything you have for me, God, I want. Everything you have for me, God, I want. Some of us are nibbling at the table of God because you think that you've got all that you need and you're walking out of this place. Come on. I'm so hungry for everything that God has for me. If God requires me to run to the front and kneel in front of everyone, I'm going to do that because there's a hunger in me for the things of God. But there's something else that I realize and I want to speak into this morning. There are some people who have had their hunger stopped because of disappointment. You know, when I was growing up in Singapore, one of the meals that we would have very commonly is this soft-boiled egg. It's basically not even cooked. It's kind of like dipped in water for a little while, cracked open, you put soy sauce, you put pepper, you kind of mix it all up, and it comes this goop. (laughs) And then you take toast, and then you dunk it in, and you, I ate that all the time. But then at one stage, right, somehow, some light turned up in my eyes, in my heart, in my life, and I went, this is goop. (laughs) This actually tastes like slimy gloop. This is like liquefied chicken. (laughs) And it's all like, chicken phlegm. (laughs) Yes! And so now, if I am dead hungry... But someone brings that in front of me, I go down. No! Some of us have had some hurt, some disappointment in the presence of God. Maybe in the presence of God's people. And so when it comes to the things of God, you come in, but all that's being brought up to you is the disgusting way that you were handled, that you were spoken to, All that hurt and all that pain is is right there. And you go, I can't can't do that. I know I need God, but I can't do that. It's time to get hungry. It's time to get humble. It's time to go, I need that. There's nothing else here that can satisfy. There's nothing else here that can bring life. There's nothing else here. Some of you think that the disgusting thing is you and that God will never accept you into His presence. So you're so hungry, but you think that you're a beggar and you're not allowed into God's courts. And God is saying, no, no, no. I paid the price and the invitation has been put out. My table is open. My table is welcoming for you right now. And there's a spread just for you. You come in. You come in and you feast. Come on, church. And I love this. A couple of weeks ago at conference, there was this uh, uh, message and 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 the speaker finished with this. And she said that, you know, one of the things about spiritual hunger is that the more you eat, the more hungry you get. The more you eat, the more hungry you get. 
And that's what I think we need to be doing in this coming season. Yes, I want us to be growing in the things of God, but we need to first be so hungry for the things of God in order to see more of God in our lives. So can we stand this morning? Can we be hungry? Can we be humble? As we are moving forward into a new chapter, there is nothing more we need than more of God, more of His Spirit moving in our lives. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. Follow us on Instagram at The Lift Church or on Facebook at Lift Church Perth. That will give you all the up-to-date information about what's happening in the life of our church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.